pray. Father, as we open your word and as we pre uh, prepare our hearts uh, to hear you speak, we ask that between each line that I say that, that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would cast our minds, our affections, our hearts upon the great work that you have done for us through your Son and by the Spirit. Come and inhabit us, your people. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Grace Bible. I'm Pastor Aaron. I help serve on the uh, pastoral staff here. And today is a wonderful day. We have several uh, young people being baptized today, followed by uh, a picnic in the park. And I just want to make a disclaimer. If you've come here and you're like, I didn't bring anything for the potluck portion, uh, you're still welcome. This is why we're Grace Bible, because we still welcome you here. Um, and if it's your first time, you're like, you know, I don't know about going to this big social event. It seems like an in-church uh, in family thing. Well, I want to say, I don't care if it's your first time, you're welcome there as well after service to, to uh, be with us. And we get to have our young ones here today, which I am really excited about. I love it when the young people are in worship. They don't necessarily love it, but I love it that you're here. And I know for the young people, you're like, well, I don't want to have to sit through a long, boring sermon. I get it. So it's not going to be long. Um. <laughs> but yeah, we, we are really excited uh, for today and, and all that it entails. And hearing once again just the, the goodness of God in, in the sacrament of baptism as he unites uh, people to himself, to Christ, and to the church. And it is a momentous occasion, and so we are um, very, very excited. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter, you know, he, Peter is, is talking about the, the work of Christ and giving the reasons why it should sustain the church of God uh, through times of, of suffering. And he writes, starting at verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the, Christ, in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I don't know if you were, but reading this, in some ways, we're meant to be struck by the comparison or the, the words that Peter declares. This water symbolizes baptism. What water? The water of Noah's flood. Now, in today's day and age, you know, the Noah and the ark is per perhaps one of the, the most famous, you know, stories that many who, you know, never read their Bible still, still know about. And, you know, there's plenty, especially with those who, young kids, with, you know, Noah-like imagery. And oftentimes, you know, with, you know, we have boats, we have animals, and, you know, it's great. And we, we forget the point of the story is that, well, this is God's judgment over sin. Captured by a, a Babylon Bee article headline uh, you know, several, several years ago where it was, you know, the, a, 
a child's picture of Noah and the ark. You know, you have the boat there and all these animals around smiling and basic, and the headline saying, toddler horrified by image of God's terrible wrath on bedroom wall. Right? <laughs> Too often we forget the, the point of Noah's ark. Right? It's, yes, he saves, but there's also God's judgment over sin, of people going their own way, of people, you know, living lives that were evil and unjust and, and bring, destroying the good creation that God had made. And Peter has the audacity to say, that water symbolizes baptism. Now, what does he mean by that? Very oftentimes, the, the New Testament has a very different way of, of seeing the Old Testament scriptures than we do. Jesus had the audacity to look at the, the Old Testament, you know, the, the Hebrew Bible, if you will, and say, you know, all that is written is about me. Oftentimes when we think of prophecy, we think of somebody going and saying, well, you know, someday in the future someone's going to come and do this. Or these awesome things are going to happen, and then you're going to know this. And those happen. But Jesus' claim is much broader about himself. All the scriptures refer to me. All of them prepare the hearts of people about what I'm going to do and what I'm going to be about. And oftentimes, not exclusively, but oftentimes this is done through uh, what's known as typology. It's a big fancy word. Um, for you young people, you can put this in your pocket and impress people with it later. Um, you talk about typology, which is basically the patterns that happen throughout the story that find their fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus. We were just singing about it in, the, in that song, right? And sometimes in typology, it, the, what, we're, what we're seeing is that Christ does what others could not, right? He is the true and better Adam, the one who in the garden did not yield to sin, through whom a new humanity emerges. Whereas Paul writes, for as in Christ all die, or for in Adam all die, so as in Christ, all will be made alive. He does what Adam could not do. The priest king who, who brings about a new humanity. Other times, this typology takes the victories of God's people and says, oh, they're just the precursor. They're the foretaste of the victory that's going to be found in the person and work of Jesus. The new and better Moses who redeems his people, who leads them out of slavery and brings them to become the people of God. The David who fights battles and crushes giants that are far bigger than, than Goliath, but the giants of sin and death that he crushes. Other times in typology, we, we see that not just people, but, but things or events point us forward to the person and work of Jesus. The tabernacle where God made his presence among his people while Jesus came and he, as John writes, tabernacled among us. The Passover lamb that, that whose blood cleanses them that they could be redeemed. Well, he is our Passover lamb, as Paul writes. Or the whole priestly system that takes people and brings them before God points us forward to the better high priest who once and for all made a sacrifice for sin. And as Peter is looking at the Old Testament and all that God has revealed about the way that he acts in the world, he looks at Noah's flood and he says, that... That prepares us for baptism. That points us forward to the work that God 
does through this mysterious thing that we call baptism. It might take you back for a second. How could what's going to happen in a few moments be the fulfillment of Noah's flood? How can the fulfillment seem so much less than, than the thing that, that leads us to it? Right? The great deluge of the flood versus a small baptismal pool with children, with youth being submerged for a brief second. Yet that's exactly what Peter says when he says, you know, this water is symbolizes baptism. Or really, he says, this is the, the you know, baptism is the antitype of, uh, of the, the chaotic waters in Noah's day. See, what, what Peter is getting at is what the water represents. And for the Hebrew people, for the people who, who wrote the scriptures, the waters, well, waters can be the sources of life, but also the sources of death. They can be the streams of God's blessing, but also the very embodiment of chaos. Rivers bring life. The sea brings death. It is, this, it is in the sea that's hostile to the rule and reign of God. It is when in the opening chapters of, of the Bible where God separates the chaotic waters and brings about land for which uh, life would flourish. It is in the sea that inhabits you know, the, the, chaos, the, the chaos monsters of Leviathan and Rahab who rage against the Lord. It is in this, from the sea that Israel's chief enemies, the Philistines, emerge. It is from the sea that the beasts in, in Daniel's prophecy emerge who wreak havoc upon the world. And it's not an accident when John writes of God's, the fulfillment of God's new creation, that there will be no sea, he's not talking about no salted bodies of water. He's talking about the chaos that reeks, that rages against God's created world. That death itself will be subdued. That death itself has been placed under his feet. As Peter Lightheart uh, notes, that Israel's heroes, well, they're landlubbers. They're shepherds, not sailors. Israel has no Ulysses, no Jason, no Aeneas. Its most famous sailor, Jonah, well, he ends up overboard. And floods, similarly, those chaotic waters, while, while rain is, is the blessing of God that brings life, floods are the chaotic waters that bring his judgment. And we see that no, uh, no more clearly than in, in the story of Noah. And the message that's found in every baptism is very clear. That sinners need more than reformation. We need death. That it's not just about getting a little bit better. It's about dying. And that the flood of God's judgment will again wash its way over this earth. But we also know that baptism isn't merely about God's judgment, is it? But about God's salvation. That the few might be saved. That there are those who are able to pass through the chaotic waters of death dry, unscathed. They emerge out the other side of God's judgment. And those chaotic waters, you know, that 
that the biblical authors liken to baptism. Whether it's the crossing of the Red Sea or whether it's Noah's Ark, that the people of God are able to walk through and be dry and secure, even as the chaotic waters look to subsume over us. As an illustration given by another, I didn't come up with this, uh, you know, it's, it's likened, our, our lives are likened to, well, a piece of string or, or yarn. Now, this is a, I don't know if you know what you call, I don't, you probably can't see this, but right now I'm holding a, you know, a piece of, of red uh, yarn or string, um, and, you know, right, can't see it. What do you call an object lesson that no one can see? Um, <laughs> a mistake. Um, <laughs> but our, our lives are, are like this piece of string, and death comes, and it, for each one of us, it covers over us. And we cannot get through this veil of death at all. No matter how hard we try, we can't force our way through, we can't worm our way through, we can't get off on the other side. We're unable to do it. But the message of baptism is clear. There is one who can. That Christ is like a needle who himself goes under the veil of death, yet he in his righteousness, is able to emerge out the other side. And those who are in him, those who have been tied to him, those who have been connected to him, go out the other side with him. And in just a moment, as we baptize many young people into the life of Christ, into the church, we are proclaiming this, that as, the, as all of humanity is going under the veil of death and the veil of God's judgment. There is one to whom we connect ourselves by which we can emerge out the other side. And so we baptize them into the death of Christ that we too can emerge with him on the other side. What does Peter say? We are saved by his resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so at this time, I would like to call forward uh, those who are being baptized, as well as the elders and, and the worship team. And here in this moment, you can come on up, uh, we are going to celebrate this amazing mystery, this reality that God is doing something really special and incredible here. That for these young people who are, who are being baptized, that Christ himself, is, or they are being united to Christ himself, that as they come under the, the veil of death, that you too will emerge with Christ on the other side. Uh, Pastor Dave has had it on his heart for a while to, to be able to teach through uh, the Apostles' Creed, which is, began as a, well, a baptismal vows for the early church. And it contains and summarizes some of the, the very main truths of what the gospel is. The faith into which that we are uh, submitting ourselves in baptism. And so the church has recited this and something very close to it for well, at least 1,700 years. And so this morning, as we prepare for baptism, uh, we are going to recite the Apostles' Creed together uh, one more time. And, uh, and so please, the words are going to be on the screen, please join me and millions of other Christians throughout all places and throughout all time as we affirm these words. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.